Hi, everybody. Welcome to Martin Van Dyke Undercovers for December 2019, produced in partnership with the Ann Arbor District Library. This month's interview is with author Cecilia Watson about her new book, Semicolon, The Past, Present, and Future of a Misunderstood Mark. It is indeed a page-turning existential romp through the life and times of the world's most polarizing punctuation mark, the semicolon. Stephen King, Hemingway, Vonnegut, and Orwell, well, they all detested it, but other authors like Herman Melville and Henry James and others loved it. But why? When is it effective? Have we been misusing it? And should we even care? Well, in the fascinating book, Semicolon, Cecilia Watson charts the rise and fall of this infamous punctuation mark, which for years was the trendiest one in the world of letters. But that changed in the 19th century as grammar books became all the rage and the rules of how we use language became stricter and more confusing with the semicolon a prime victim, taking us on a breezy journey through a range of examples from Milton to Martin Luther King Jr. to Raymond Chandler. Cecilia Watson reveals how traditional grammar rules make us less successful at communicating with each other than we think. And even the most diehard grammar fanatics might be better served by tossing out the rule books and learning a better way to engage with language. Through her rollicking biography of the semicolon, Watson writes a guide to grammar that explains why we don't need guides at all and refocuses our attention on the deepest, most primary value of language. That's true communication. When I told friends that I was interviewing an author about the semicolon, a few people were absolutely fascinated and others simply scratched their head and said, why would someone write a book about a punctuation mark? That was my first question for Cecilia Watson. I asked her, why did you write a book about the semicolon? Well, I certainly get that response of bafflement quite a bit. Um, But the other response I get, which I think speaks to the reasons that I decided to write the book, is really emotional. Either people will say, oh, that's my absolute favorite piece of punctuation, and I'll get this kind of 20-minute disquisition on here's why I love the semicolon so much and here are my favorite uses. Or I will get an opposite reaction of, you know, I I hate it or it makes me incredibly anxious. Um, Sometimes people will tell me these kinds of stories about their childhood experience with grammar that makes me feel like I'm sitting behind them as they recline on a Freudian therapy couch and I have a little notebook. (laughs) Uh, So it's really remarkable the kind of investment that people have in that particular punctuation mark, um, which really does seem to confuse people a lot more than many of the other marks. It's so it, it is really true. And for me, that that fear, that anxiety uh, comes through a lot when I as I do some freelance writing here and there. And, and whenever I'm thinking of using a semicolon, I'm, I'm always questioning the use of it. And yet sometimes it, it is truly a, an effective punctuation mark to use. Well, what's the history of the semicolon? When, who was did a certain person invent it? What's the f- earliest usage of the semicolon? And can you define it for those? who just may be completely unfamiliar with what are we talking about. Tell us, what is a semicolon? (laughs) 
Well, the the definition of the semicolon, I think, is tied to the story of its invention. So we get the first one in print in 1494, uh, and that sounds like a long time ago, but that is relatively late for a standard punctuation mark. Commas and colons and um, the full stop, the period, were all in existence from Greek times. Uh, They didn't necessarily look like they do now, but we had those types of pauses. The semicolon was this new invention in the late 1400s that was designed to be a pause that was midway in length between a colon and a comma. Um, And if you think about what it looks like, a little dot poised over the tail of a comma, it looks like a combination of those two things. Um, And back at that time period, punctuation was really regarded kind of as a musical element. Um, I know you are something of a music expert yourself, so even though you may hesitate over using a semicolon occasionally, you probably have a great instinct for it because its origin really is that kind of musical pause. Um, How long do you want to stop in your speech? and it's gotten, as time has gone on, we've gotten farther and farther away of that idea of a kind of musical element to speech and more into thinking of punctuation as a matter of logic, which I think is where the confusion comes in. Yeah, we think more of punctuation marks as, as laws or, or something. And if we, you know, mm-hmm. laws that we cannot break that are completely rigid and, and, and we, we can't go against those things. Now, does the semicolon, does it, does it predate um, exclamation points and question marks? Or, or, do, or do those punctuation marks or predate semicolons? Uh, the question mark definitely predates the semicolon. Um, In fact, the question mark was undergoing some attempted renovations at the time that the semicolon was invented. (laughs) Around that same period of time, we get something called a rhetorical question mark, um, which kind of looked like an upside down question mark, sort of like the ones that Spanish use now. Uh, And readers and writers just did not find that very useful. So it died out where the punction, where the uh, semicolon managed to flourish. Cecilia, before we go anywhere else talking about your book, tell us about your background besides writing this incredibly fascinating (laughs) book about semicolons. Tell tell us more about yourself, if you would. (laughs) Well, um, I, would you like to know more academically or deeper history? Both, both actually. (laughs) Start academically, though, if you would. Yeah, of course. Um, So I have a a bachelor's of arts degree in plain old liberal arts, meaning I studied a little bit of everything in college, um, and that was at St. John's College, which is a teeny little school in Maryland. And then I got really fascinated while I was there with reading historical scientific texts. So I decided that I would go and get degrees that dealt with the sciences historically and philosophically. So I have a master's in philosophy and then also a PhD in history and philosophy of science, which oddly turned out to be relevant for this book. Yeah, how so? How so? Well, it turns out that when grammar rules were first invented in the form in which we know them, as these kind of long series of logical-sounding rules, they were meant to be imitations of science textbooks. 
Uh, so things like sentence diagramming, which if you're old enough like me, you might remember doing oh, on yeah. the board in school. Those were meant to look like the diagrams in the scientific textbook. And the rules were meant to sound like laws of nature. And that was because that was hugely marketable. So parents wanted their kids to be taught science in schools, kind of like, you know, I think that's not too dissimilar to now when parents really want their kids to learn a lot of uh, STEM subjects. And uh, so grammarians found that if they could market the study of language as something like the study of the sciences, they could make a fortune, and they did. All right, let's get back to the subject of, of uh, your book, The Semicolon. Was there a time in history where where it was used a lot and it, it was kind of a, for lack of a better word, kind of a trendy punctuation mark? Oh, most definitely. In the mid-1800s, straight on through to the early 1900s, people were putting so many semicolons in their texts that grammarians started worrying that things like the colon were going extinct. Um, And they would make these pleas for, please, please bring back the colon, bring back the comma. Um, Otherwise, the semicolon is going to stop making any sense because we don't have these other marks for it to kind of relate to rhythmically. Uh, So it was definitely a huge thing then. And a lot of times you would see semicolons, for instance, If I were making a list of things, I might say, I want you to do the following, colon, um, go to the store, uh, clean the house, et cetera, et cetera. They would have put a semicolon where we would put a colon there. Uh Uh, So it it had this enormous flexibility. Anytime you wanted a pause, you could throw one in. And so was it when, as, as you've been uh, talking about, the, the, the rise of, you know, grammar books and more, you know, these stricter, the stricter approach to grammar, is that kind of what led to the, the fall or the demise of the semicolon where we just don't see it as much these days? I really think it is because when people express to me a fear about it, it's usually a fear of using it wrong. Um, And part of that is because you really don't need the semicolon. You can survive just fine on commas, colons, full stops. You can even survive without those other stops as well. But they seem to be less of a source of ambiguity because every time you put in a semicolon, you probably could put in a full stop or you could put in a colon maybe. Um, So people think, well, I don't want to do it wrong. I'm just not going to do it at all. And the very notion that there is such a fundamentally wrong way to do it and that that wrong way says something about your intelligence, about your logical ability, all of that stems, I think, from the invention of these rules. You give us some very famous uses of semicolons. And when I first started to read the book, I thought, Gosh, there can't be anything that I would really be that familiar with. And, oh, is I ever wrong? I, I, for, for me, the, the quote from uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham jail. Wow, what a, this is just such a very well-known piece of writing. Can you tell us about that a bit? It, 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 is, it, it just really blew my mind. Yeah, it's definitely my favorite use of the semicolon. Um, so the letter from Birmingham jail, which was written as an open letter after King had been arrested for nonviolent resistance, um, and he was writing to fellow clergymen about why it was necessary to resist um, uh, so vigorously 
and not just wait for change to come about. Um, and there's a long sentence in the middle of the letter, and usually when I'm teaching this letter and I ask students what's the most impactful part, they point to this section. Um, and so he launches in on this big, long sentence that recounts just horror after horror of the things that he goes through and that his children go through every day as people of color in America. And all of these various injustices are strung together with semicolons. And it goes on for probably about a page of text, maybe a little more. And at the end, he caps it with a very short sentence. Um, then you'll understand why we can't wait. Um, and when you read this sentence, you find yourself holding your breath, uh, waiting for it to end, waiting to get to stop, waiting for relief from all of the horrible things that you're hearing about in the sentence. So it's what we would call mimesis. You're going through the experience of the waiting, and he manages to accomplish this with semicolons. Just incredible. What, what, give us another example uh, from your book of a, of a famous use of semicolons. Give a, list another author or two listed in your book. Mm. Um, I talk a good bit about Irvin Welsh and Rebecca Solnit, who I think are kind of masters of uh, the opposite of what King does. So they tend to use short staccato clauses that are put together with semicolons. So you get this kind of quickness of rhythm rather than this effect of slowing down time the way that King does. Um, I also love Raymond Chandler's nonfiction semicolons. He is, most people I think are much more familiar with his noir detective novels, but he was a masterful essayist. Um, so I hope that, that more people get a chance to read some of his nonfiction essays. Um, I was also looking, this is not in the book, but I, like a lot of people, I've been rereading Toni Morrison lately uh, in the wake of her, her recent death. It's a good time to get to revisit some of her texts. And she is very inventive with the semicolon. If you just go through and look at the first paragraph of Beloved, you'll see very unconventional uses of the semicolon, by which I mean ones that break the alleged rules. Any plans for another book about another punctuation mark, Cecilia? Or do you know what your next book project is? Is What will it be? Do you have any idea? People do ask me if this is the start of a series. <laughs> uh, probably not. Uh, I do feel like I have at least an essay in me about the paragraph, but it might just be an essay. Um, <laughs> I'm still working on next book ideas, but I think... I think overall, as a writer, my favorite thing to do is just find some small object of fascination and then see how far I can spin out from that to see um, what kind of broader historical or cultural or social issues that little tiny thing seems tangent to. So hopefully I'll do something else like that again. Thanks for listening to Martin Bandike Undercovers for December 2019. Our interview was with Cecilia Watson about her book, Semicolon, The Past, Present, and Future of a Misunderstood Mark. This has been a presentation of the Ann Arbor District Library. Mm-hmm.